Hello, welcome to the Science for Policy podcast. My name is Toby, and today I'm delighted that my guest is Professor Catherine Holst. Catherine is a professor at the University of Oslo, part of the Department of Sociology and Human Geography there, and also the Arena Centre for European Studies. One of her main areas of research is the role of expertise in policy and in politics, and she is one of the leaders of the EU-funded project Perisha, or, or Peritia, Uh, which is investigating when and why people trust experts. Her strand of that project is entitled Trust and Advice Mechanisms. So, Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Toby. So this project on trust and expertise sounds very interesting. I have to admit, I'm struggling a bit with pronouncing its name. Peritia or Perisha? I think that's excellent. I've heard a lot of different pronunciations. I think this one is, a, is what works best. <laughs> okay, well, um, let's go with Peritzia then. Is it supposed to be an acronym? Does it have to stand for something? Yeah, it is. It's Policy, uh, Trust and Expertise in Action. So this is the full name of it. But, okay. All right, so some of the letters in the word aren't actually No, <laughs> no, I, I, it's complicated. I, I will put the link in the show notes so people who are interested can see the spelling and find out more about the project. Yeah. <laughs> so there has been quite a lot of talk lately in the public discourse about trust or mistrust in experts. I guess this is why the Peritzia project exists. Do you have a, a kind of top-level diagnosis about why we're talking more and more about trust taking a beating recently? Uh, I think, you know, the the simple answer that comes to mind would be uh, like populism, that there is currently uh, a bunch of voters, segments of voters that express that they do not really trust experts, that they decreasingly trust experts. And there are politicians around that really want to be their spokespersons and even want to sort of make these views even stronger and who really uh, politicize this position and, and, and try to gain political power on this view that, you know, we shouldn't trust the expert. We, see, we saw this during the Brexit campaign, famously, of course, and we see now in the US elections and we see this in, in many countries. And then, so this is a simple answer. And then you maybe there are also uh, legitimate reasons for not always trusting experts and maybe there are some you know examples of experts not behaving that good or being such good experts after all so so there are maybe also more legitimate issues involved than populism but i mean this would be my first answer maybe right i understand and which is cause and which is effect do you think does mistrust and expertise kind of come along with populism or, or the other way around? Or is there something deeper going on which gives rise to both? Uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is a difficult question, I think. I think certainly that, you know, populism has sort of increased this, uh, this trust and sort of uses this, this trust that is around already maybe and to make political gains. So there is, I, I think there are both. I think there are more fundamental uh, issues involved here that is not directly connected to populism. But I think, you know, populism has certainly made this into a, a larger phenomenon. And this is, you know, why we talk about it so much and why there is so much talk about this now that there is distrust in experts. So, you know, I'm sure that this podcast is called Science for Policy, which means, um, well, on the one hand, I'm confident our listeners will be very interested in your research and in the issues that you work on. Yeah, maybe. But also, you're not 
necessarily preaching to the choir here. I know there are a lot of people listening to this who have an interest or even like a professional agenda to strengthen the role of experts in policymaking. Mm. But I take it that you maybe have some reservations about that endeavor, or at least um, you think it's not as easy as that. So could you kind of lay out your position here? What's the content of the distrust that you see? And when people have concerns about expertise, what do you think they're actually worried about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I should emphasize first that I'm really in favor of expert uh, knowledge informing policy making. I'm in all in favor of science advice mechanisms and so on. But you know, this being said, I think there are legitimate concerns in addition to this this thing about populism. And maybe you can roughly uh, um, categorize the worries that one might have into two. For one thing, there is worries about, you know, experts and even scientific experts that they don't perform that well, that they do, that they are biased, that they do mistakes. They are maybe not so good at predicting as they think they are. They do cognitive mistakes. They are overconfident um, and they can be politically biased. They can be biased by their, you know, disciplinary toolbox uh, and and so on. So there are this, you know, this concern that, you know, maybe experts are not that performing that well after all. And then there's a second kind of, of concerns relation, uh, related to, to democracy. Uh, really, shouldn't there be a rule of the people? Haven't experts got too much uh, political power? So these, you know, two basic concerns is really something that I think can be legitimately raised. All right. So let's talk about the democracy part first, which I suppose is a more theoretical issue. Um, and then it'll be interesting to come back to the question of whether, apart from that, experts are actually useful anyway. So what's the tension that you see, or the potential tension perhaps, between democratic decision-making and involving experts? Well, I see. Uh, yeah, I, I think fundamentally, I think there is uh, a tension. On the one hand, you have the democratic norm of you know, uh, political equality, equal participation, equal political power on the one hand and the other other hand you have this idea that some people know more than others about what are good policies Um, these are the experts and we give them extra political power because they are particularly knowledgeable and of course there can be good reasons for us to do that but there is initially uh, attention here I think even though maybe there could be very good solutions to how we can have it both ways I mean at least to a certain extent, but I think originally there is a tension between like rule of the people versus rule of the knowledgeable. So this is a starting point. Okay, great. There's a lot there. So I want to pull uh, one thread out of all that to start with, and that's this idea of the expert knowing more than anyone else. So in what I've read, you've used the term epistemic asymmetry to describe that some, as, a, as a kind of ineliminable problem. Could you say a bit more about that? Yeah, and maybe, uh, I mean, the epistemic asymmetry term is very much related to a definition of an expert. So um, a definition of expert would be like someone who knows a lot of things and a lot of more than most people does in in one domain. Uh, Due to this, there is a huge informational gap or whatever you can call it between the expert and the non-expert called you know in the more technical language and for the for epistemic asymmetry and this is something that it, again it's very hard to do something about because kind of this is a definition of an expert that it knows more than non-expert you cannot get rid of this asymmetry or cognitive inequality or whatever you can call it 
how then should non-experts relate to this? Can, they can cannot even uh, understand, you know, the basics of what the uh, the expert is uh, explaining, and then how could they assess the uh, decisions? So this is why the term epistemic asymmetry is very central to if you want to outline the challenges um, here. Well, I mean. Hmm. All right, but the, the the point of having an expert surely is that they know things you don't. So, I mean, why is that a problem? I mean, the expert needs to be able to explain what they know. Sure, or I guess if that's not possible because the asymmetry is so uh, so pronounced, at least they need to be able to explain the relevant implications for the policy in question or whatever. And I understand that's not always easy, but... Isn't the epistemic asymmetry really the whole point of having the expert in the first place? Maybe this is not always such a practical problem, but it's maybe we should talk more about it than we do, because maybe it's often simplified how easy it is for people and non-experts to sort of, we should check on the experts, we should, you know, control what they are saying, and we should get, uh, there should be transparency and so on, so we can control them and check them. But due to this epistemic asymmetry, that is can be quite hard, actually. Mm, okay, I see your point. So it's not easy to satisfy yourself that you're getting good advice if you really can't engage with it in a way that lets you assess it. Yeah, and you know, and of course, you can rely on many proxies, and we do that all the time. You, you sort of is this. You can check the web page of this expert. Is it does he does he uh, has an education from a good university? Has he a lot of scientific publications that look relevant? You know, is he a good performer argumentatively? Maybe he's a good communicator. Uh, do you see other experts sort of supporting him, saying that, yeah, this is an expert, he is a really distinguished professor in this area? So you have a lot of proxies, you know, that could be very useful. You know, you know we, we, we need these proxies and we should systematize maybe our use of them. But still, in the end, then you are, you, you cannot really check this for yourself because, you know, the reputation and the merits of the experts depends on other experts' uh, assessments and you yourself cannot really directly assess it and and so on. And I guess there are some fields where the proxies might not exist or aren't, aren't very strong. So like um, an emerging field like AI, yeah. if you're trying to make decisions about some complex issue in a brand new area of science, there's a lot of disagreement or uncertainty among the experts anyway. It could be hard to kind of get a grip on who you're talking to. Yeah, it could be. Maybe the yeah, maybe the old uh, proxies wouldn't work that well. It's hard to know. You know what are the what are the interesting journals here? What are the most what, what are the excellent research environment? Are there maybe some new research environments who really who really know are on top of this? But how could you know uh, this? Also, maybe there can be a lot of conflicts between experts. You know, a lot of conflicting expert assessment of who knows more, who are, who are the most. Uh, knowledgeable about uh, this so I mean in these emerging fields with you know a lot of where a lot of new things are happening controversies and so on it can be even harder to uh, to assess I mean even for experts it can be hard to to make assessments Hmm. all right so on the one hand we have this kind of asymmetry in knowledge which makes it hard for non-experts to have a democratic oversight meaningful oversight of experts and then on the other hand, you've also talked about the scientization of public debate, which I think is maybe in a way the, the kind of inverse problem, where policymaking can be skewed too far towards scientific 
uh, uh, considerations and solutions and away from other democratic concerns. Could you say a few words about that? Yeah, I think this goes back once more to the uh, democratic worry, basically, that if we have, you know, if we are Democrats, we think that decisions and policies should reflect people's interests, what people value, uh, what goals people have, you know, the people's will should be uh, at the bottom of all this. And of course, then you can have experts informing you, you know, what are the most efficient means to get to your goals. And I mean, there are a lot of clarifications that experts can contribute to, but there, it is a problem if you know that wider public debate sort of do not capture the relevant concerns and the different life experiences and the different interests of different groups. This could be a, this could be a problem. Of course, it's, a, it's not only experts who, who can sort of pervert public deliberations. You could have, you know, strong economic interests or you could have majorities of different kind that pervert public de deliberation that marginalize some interests and so on so it's not you know only about experts but expert is one of the factors that can be a problem here yeah i wonder how you see your role here because you've said and i accept of course that you uh, are a supporter of scientific expertise being used in policy making and so on but on the other hand you've elaborated quite persuasively on some reasons why people might feel uncomfortable about that um and i wonder whether you're being more the social scientist so like reporting on people's opinions even if they don't necessarily stand up to scrutiny which obviously is important because we need to know about these issues and and how people think about them when we design science advice systems or whatever or is this something that you think is a legitimate issue and you more as the philosopher are identifying these problematic areas which we would want to address, I mean, even if society as a whole didn't hadn't noticed them. I guess I'm trying to ask in, a, in as polite a way as possible, do you buy what you're selling? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe it's like, I think, I think it's for me, in the end, it's more of the latter that I think sort of irrespective of what people think, I, th I think we want good policy and I think we want democratic policy. So we should make sure to design our science advice and our expert bodies in ways that sort of take it into account. But then in addition, there is this, you know, of course, uh, concern about what people uh, think about it and, and to make institutions that people uh, trust. So maybe you're right, it's a bit, little bit of both, but I think the first one is where I start out sort of. All right, then. And, and a follow-up question. Science advice is a very broad concept and expertise is even broader. So do you see these problems as arising across the board whenever experts are involved in policymaking? Or do you think it's limited to a few more contentious areas of expertise like uh, economics or something? Uh, there are certainly not hard to find uh, issues or examples of this from the social sciences and economics. I've I've been studied, among other things, the role of economists in uh, the 2008 financial crisis and the euro crisis and so on. And this has been very, uh, their role has been very uh, controversial and it sort of exemplified this criticism against experts. Why didn't economists predict the crisis? Why didn't they come up with better measures when the crisis was here? Why wasn't the people more involved in sort of making the 
solutions to this when, you know, the policies recommended had so huge effects on people's uh, welfare. You know, so I understand why you're asking this, but I think more fundamentally, I think this thing about expert, uh, you know, making mistakes and performing better or worse and that we should care about how we design expert bodies is not only about uh, economists and social scientists. I think it's more broadly. I mean, you can think now also under the current pandemic and so on, where you see a lot of experts from many different disciplines involved and still I think you would have these concerns are the experts behaving good what is the role of democracy in the in the process and decisions now that are taken and so on okay so I think that all makes sense to me I mean uh, of course democratic accountability in decision making is a good thing that doesn't seem too controversial and um, we can also grant that scientific evidence is not democratic by its nature fine so I agree there's a tension but perhaps you can uh, tell me, why isn't the solution to that tension kind of straightforward? I mean, don't you just take some care to build your science advice system? And I, I suppose there are many examples of this. Um, you build it so that the experts can only give advice as requested by policymakers, and then the actual decisions are made by the politicians. So the politicians can choose to take or leave the science advice, just as they can take or leave any input. And as long as they have the final say on policies and they're accountable democratically to the electorate for those policies. Doesn't that kind of complete the democratic loop? Doesn't that solve the problem? Yeah, I, I think there is something to that, certainly. I mean, so we shouldn't exaggerate the tension. So there's, there is something to that. But on the other hand, it, it is actually a lot of cases where we where we do delegate decisions uh, to experts. Again, I will study the economic policy and, you know, consider the economists of the central bank really deciding interest rate policies, having huge effect on people's lives. We see it also now under the pandemic. We have de- many countries have delegated a lot of power to experts on what kind of specific measures that are going to be taken. And on the other hand, I think even if there is science advice committee mechanisms that do not take the final decision, we leave that they leave that to the parliament and the government, still they have a lot of power when they you know analyze the problem, tease out the different decision alternatives and define what is at stake. Uh, There is still this tension, I think, with the idea of equality, not only of decision-making, but equality of political power. So this does not mean, again, I have to emphasize that this does not mean that I'm against scientific advisory committees. I'm very much in favor of it. But still, I think we should be sort of clear about that we, in some senses, give experts an extra vote, not literally, but we do give them also extra political power in defining the problems and sort of telling the politicians what are the relevant decisions to make. Hmm. Thinking about the first of those two areas, that seems maybe the clearer one to start with, the idea of politicians delegating decisions to experts, and essentially, as you're describing it, um, disowning responsibility in that way. To take a concrete example, because you mentioned setting interest rates. Well, I remember when the UK government decided for the first time to do exactly that, to delegate setting interest rates to a central bank, to the Bank of England. And that was heralded as an improvement specifically because it removed a decision from the political arena and gave it to independent experts. So are you saying that's that's maybe not a net gain? I think there can a lot can be gained on that. I think there can be many cases where there are you can make a good case for also delegating decisions if the politicians are aware of you know what they are delegating and why they are doing it. For example, in terms of long-term interests for the people, 
I, I think this is defensible. Then, you know, so this is always kind of the basic justification you have for delegating some decisions to experts is that it sort of improves on decisions, improves on policies. But you should, of course, make sure that the expert bodies are organized in ways that makes it likely that they do make good decisions, you know, that their interest rate policy actually is improved by this. And also there is always the democratic concern that you, you sort of need to balance out. So there's maybe a, maybe a question here or how much and on which issues you can do that. But I'm certainly not, you know, against delegating decisions if this is, you know, properly thought through, as maybe in the case of central banks. Okay, that's logical. And then the second example you gave was the close inv- the issue of involving experts closely in the policymaking process so that they have more influence than the average citizen. So I suppose there are various ways to come at this. One fairly common theme I've heard from people who think about how science advice works and how advice mechanisms should be set up um, is a theme actually that's been rehearsed several times from different guests on this podcast about the need for closer and closer interaction between policymakers and experts. So an increasing entanglement, I think one guest described it as. Um, And this is supposed to be a good thing, arguably, because if we don't have that entanglement, then we have um, failures of communication, we have the inability of research to engage with political needs and so on. So it's literally about bringing scientists into policymaking infrastructure so they can work side by side with politicians. And I think the reason that hasn't historically been the case, maybe you have a a view on this, is that people have wanted to make sure the divide is really clear between the advisors who are independent and don't make decisions and the politicians who are accountable and do. So it seems like you want to have our cake and eat it and, and the pendulum swings back and forth. Where do you stand on that dichotomy? Yeah, uh, I think the reason that one historically, and maybe also there are still some good reasons to you know to be you know be or be have a, have also a critical approach to being to the too close entanglement idea, is that we want experts to have their uh, independent opinion. So we want experts sort of to to make you know go through the research and make their scientific assessment of what what is what is state of affairs what policies work and so on and so if you make kind of the 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 interactions with the bureaucrats and the policymakers and the politicians too close or be that they are entangled in the role in the wrong way we sort of do not get what we want from experts that are sort of independent advice. On the other hand, there is there is the question of, of, of impact here. You know, what? why would we want science advice mechanisms that are so detached from policymakers that they do not have any practical effect at all? And in addition, I also think there is a, a case to be made for the, the, the competence of the policymakers and, you know, those setting this... Uh, into to, to practical uh, uh, life and to practical policies. I mean, scientists can bring much very important knowledge and, you know, what what do we know from research or what works or not. But actually to formulate good policies, one often needs uh, different kind of competences, regulatory competence. You need, a, you know, stakeholder uh, knowledge, local knowledge of policymakers and so on. So this is why there is also, of course, a very strong case for for interaction. Okay, so all very good points, but it seems to me that the fact remains that we really need experts if we want to make any kind of good policy at all, because the world's a complex place and it's getting more complex, and science also is is 
getting more and more specialised. We can hardly expect all politicians, let alone all voters, to be so well-versed in every possible issue that they never need to ask advice from experts. I mean, it's hard enough to expect them even to be well-versed enough that they can take experts' reports, understand them, make clear judgments, and then go forward. I mean, so I can see absolutely how this might have negative effects like the ones you've been talking about. Perhaps we end up weakening the grip of democracy on decisions. But isn't that just inevitable? I mean, it's a shame and we should know about it, but isn't it just too bad? We have to make the right decisions about the issues that confront us in the real world. And if that means the balance tips a bit further away from democracy, and I suppose towards technocracy, or at least some strong involvement of technocrats, if that's more than we might like, in a way, so be it. Yeah, I, I, I think there are some things to be said for what you are saying. I, you, I, I think you are right in the sense that I don't think, I, I think we are expertise reliant. I think we need different kind of expert knowledge to make good and rational policies in the interest of the peoples. And I think we should sort of also utilize scientific developments and the different scientific disciplines in making better societies and making uh, better policies. So I'm totally against this idea that you could sort of solve this problem or, or solve this tension by just debunking expertise and don't rely on it. But at the same time, I, I don't think you, you, you at the same time should just be uh, know about what, you know, the pitfalls are. And then I think it's a, a better answer than, you know, should we have experts or should we not have experts is rather that we should think, should think more about how do we uh, organize expert bodies, what are good organizations of science advice so that we get sort of the best possible institutions, best possible expert advice, those that give us the expert input that we need and that we want for for better policies, while at the same time, you know, remaining some uh, democratic mechanisms of of, uh, control, which is, of course, difficult because, as you said, it's very hard for, you know, non-experts to control experts when experts explain something and say this is how it is i know this with my phd i've done research in that it's very hard for non-experts sort of to control them or are you right in this how because you don't you, you don't have of course the expertise yourself to to control this okay we've talked about the problems and risks but i think we also agree that we do need experts nonetheless so what are the solutions what can we do when we design science advice systems to try to alleviate some of these difficulties. I think despite this thing about that that is important that there are a lot of interactions between experts and policymakers, I do think it's important with uh, a certain kind of independence for our science advisory uh, mechanisms. Uh, I do think it is a very strong case that can be made for experts operating in groups. I mean, this is also a very good thing with the committee system. Uh, You know, a lot of research showing that experts that that reflect on their own, they are much more biased and do much more mistakes than experts thinking in groups. There are a strong case to be made for uh, multidisciplinary groups uh, in research. And, you know, this is... This is maybe sounds uh, trivial, but in a lot of policy areas, the expert groups are or, or science-advised mechanisms are not very multidisciplinary. Again, I've been studying economic policy, and it's really uh, maybe one of the heaviest or most influential policy areas is, is simply run by economists in very many uh, political systems. Okay, so this is really interesting. You often hear multidisciplinarity 
being praised in science advice, but usually for the reason, or at least I thought it was for the reason, um, that you want to make sure that all perspectives are included and you don't get a kind of myopic view of the evidence. Yeah. But you're pointing out that it can also help to, to what, reduce human error? Yeah, I think this is one. I think one one of the insights from you know research from cognitive psychology, sociology, and so on, on expert performance. You know what? How can we ensure that experts make fewer uh, mistakes? That they are their biases and so on are are, uh, are traced. One of the you know few things we can do besides having experts that have a nice track record and and so on is actually to make sure that there is a, a relative it's a cognitive pluralism around. And this goes very much into this idea of multidiscipli- multidisciplinarity. I think, you know, for experts to perform well, this is maybe more important really than democratic accountability in the sense that non-experts can criticize experts. That's very important for democratic reasons. But sort of to check the... Uh, whether experts really behave like experts are supposed to, not doing these mistakes. I think this this um, multidisciplinarity. I think it's uh, even though we often hear about it, uh, it's we actually need to talk even more about it. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it's not just about bringing in new information; it's also about reducing bias. So what's the thinking behind it? Is it that you get a room full of people with diverse backgrounds? If they're used to thinking about things in different ways, then they can cover each other's blind spots so to speak yeah this is actually this is this is full of the I, I think many of us have this experience from everyday life i think also you know all academics have this experience and maybe and i think also policymakers have it and it's really to institutionalize and make make this even more uh this more uh, systematic to have like the adequate uh, kind of pluralism among competent people so you know democratic accountability but also to have pluralism among competent people who have sort of different assumptions and different toolboxes different approaches and who sort of can then see biases and and others mistakes more easily and so in this way we can check uh, upon one another I, I think this is really one of the robust findings from research on expertise and I don't think it's controversial but still it's not really implemented as systematically that one might have thought. Do you think it's possible to invent a perfect science advice mechanism so one where you eliminate as many of these issues as possible and uh, make maximum allowances for the rest or is it always going to be about striking a balance and making trade-offs? Yeah, I yeah, I'm not into this language of making something uh, perfect or you know making this kind of blueprint uh, proposals. I think there can be different ways to do this more uh, concretely, where you sort of try to to increase on experts' performance, try to go along with democratic accountability. But in my idea of this there will always be uh, trade-offs better or worse maybe sometimes you can you cannot say that this is a perfect one but maybe you can see that no this performs you know less bad we have more reasons to be insured about this one that this this performs better so it's more in those terms, I think we should talk about this. I don't think we can make it uh, perfect. And even though also, you, of course, even you have, if you have perfect procedures in place, there is multidisciplinarity, there is democratic accountability and all the things you want. Still, of course, 
the advice in the end could be bad. There could be some people could take wrong. It could be wrong. There could be uncertainties. Uh, conditions could change. And, you know, there could always, you know, there is no guarantee in the end that the advice would be actually of the quality that the procedures promise. Thank you for that. I think that's a superb summary and a note of realism to finish with, which in a way is a shame because I actually have one more question I wanted to ask you. Um, so a few weeks ago, I interviewed um, Kerry Funk, who does research for Pew Research Center in the US, and she has access to a lot of data about, among other things, trust in scientists. So the most recent Pew research concluded that, uh, I've got the quote here, Scientists as a group are highly regarded compared with other prominent groups and institutions in society. So the figure is much higher than trust in other groups such as the private sector or governments or journalists, for instance. So do you think this means we have less to worry about than your kind of starting statement might suggest? That people actually do have a fair amount of trust in science and scientists. I think one should be, you know, appreciate these uh, results and one should not, you know, make this problem of distrust in, in scientists and experts uh, bigger than it actually is. So there is also in this age of populism this idea that's, that this problem of distrust in scientists and experts is exaggerated. So this evidence is, is very valuable. So at the same time, I, I, I looked at the, at the background of this and there is certainly, uh, you know, this varies a lot, I think, both between countries and, you know, concerning what kind of issues are involved. And, you know, in some controversies, there is maybe a case for uh, not so high trust in experts and maybe there's also this thing about you know when people are asked general question about do you trust scientists and then you have maybe that just as interesting questions about do you trust this expert body and how this expert body behaved in this or that controversy then maybe you would get a different answer but anyway I think this was very interesting uh, findings and and then on the other hand as I said my my main interest in this is not really dependent on this you know what do people think although this is of course always interesting it's also that i think we have a deeper concerns to make institutions that work well and that we will want to to live under great so Catherine hulse thank you very much indeed for this conversation and for giving us so much food for thought especially for those of us who work on science advice design and infrastructure good luck with the Peritzia project and thank you yeah you feel i hope it's worked out somehow the Science for Policy podcast is produced by SAPEA. We're a consortium of Europe's academies and learning societies, and we're part of the European Commission's scientific advice mechanism. We provide evidence and expertise to inform the work of the group of chief scientific advisors. SAPEA is funded by the EU's Horizon 2020 programme for research and innovation, and you can find lots more information about us and our work at sapea.info. Finally, the rather lovely cello music that's playing right now is performed by Elizaveta Sushchenko. So I shall shut up and let you enjoy the last few bars. Bye for now.